you are doing an amazing, amazing job if you're in any of these positions, which means that if at any point you feel very ill, you will be prepared and know that it is your time to break your fast, that you tried, that you did all of the things that I just talked about and maybe more. And it is not, you are not in a stage, in a season, in a phase of your life where it would be safe for you to fast. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Friends, if you wear wigs, then you need to hear this. I found a hatful called the Hustle Wig, which was created for busy moms, the long days at work, and everything in between. They make looking good and wearing a wig simple. Their hatful wigs are lined with a breathable jersey fabric, no combs, no clips, and it is literally the most comfortable wig that I have ever worn. Their wigs are some of the most affordable wigs that you can get. They're made from 100% human hair. Now get this, they offer free shipping and exchanges if you order online, as well as no restocking fee if returned. Plus, right now they have a special promotion going on called the Duo Try-On. Order any two wigs to try on in the comfort of your own home while only putting down a deposit for one. Use code TRYON at checkout. They also have lots of customizable options. Go to thehustlewig.com. That's T-H-E-H-U-S-T-L-E-W-I-G dot com. You can also check out their Instagram, The Hustle Wig. And as usual, all of this info will be in my show notes. Welcome to episode 74 of the Happy Birthway podcast. This podcast will be a replay of a former podcast I recorded two years ago about fasting on Yom Kippur because today's Thursday and Yom Kippur is in three days. And I will die on this hill telling you that preparation must start in advance, not the day before. So hopefully you are hearing this a few days in advance, preferably today when the episode is released. But even if you're not, there is still a lot of really helpful information in this episode. Enjoy. Let's start with pregnant women. If you are pregnant and you are healthy, if you have no complications in your pregnancy, if you have no pre-existing conditions prior to your pregnancy, and especially if you were a good faster prior to your pregnancy, then you are likely to go and get the okay from your provider, your doctor, or your midwife to fast on Yom Kippur. That being said, if you are someone who has had difficulty fasting, if you are someone who has pre-existing complications before your pregnancy, as well as complications that are new during your pregnancy, there's a very good chance that 
your provider may tell you it's not the best idea for you to fast. And I'm going to get into some of the common complications during pregnancy and possibly before pregnancy that you're likely to be told it would not be a good idea for you. But if you are healthy and fine, then likely it is okay. So today, in today's modern world, Pregnancy in and of itself is not considered to be an illness. It is a condition. It is a change in your body. And physiologically, there are many changes going on. But if you have healthy nutrition, we have access to good prenatal care today, then it's not as dangerous to fast as it may have been, you know, centuries ago when nutrition was not good, when women had close interval pregnancies and had complications that there was not necessarily treatment for. When it comes to fasting for a pregnant woman, in terms of eating food, nutrition, our bodies are designed that they have some stores for a few days, okay? So the food, the lack of food is not as much as a concern as the lack of fluid because what happens is, is when you're growing a baby inside of you, you are supporting that baby's blood volume, okay? you Your placenta is what is actually sustaining your baby. And a pregnant woman's blood volume goes up by 50% in order to do that. So a pregnant woman's hydration needs are much greater than when she's not pregnant. And a woman's body is a lot more sensitive to dehydration as a result. Women's blood pressures at baseline are lower, like sometime when they get into the second trimester. So they are even more sensitive to their blood pressures going down. And that is what makes you feel dizzy and what can cause fainting as well. And some women have this like sudden onset fainting where they're not even really feeling symptoms and then suddenly they'll faint. And that is from your blood pressure bottoming out oftentimes. So these are the most common things that'll happen to a woman who's fasting, even a healthy woman. And that's why preparing ahead of time before the fast, at least three days of really hydrating while drinking a lot is so important. If you decide to just like drink double of what you normally should be drinking the day before, you're just going to pee it all out. Your body's not actually storing up anything. But if you start days in advance, then your body will have some time to store up more fluids and you will be in a better hydration state. I want to emphasize that this is not medical advice. This is education. So take everything that you hear over here and use it to ask the questions. Ask the right questions. Use it to learn the right information about your individual health so that you can be better informed to make the right decision for yourself and also so that you can feel a little bit better going to the fast, maybe feel a little bit less anxious. It's so normal for everybody to feel so anxious before fast, even those who are not pregnant or breastfeeding. So have the conversation with your provider first and foremost, about whether it would be okay for you to fast given your situation. If your provider is someone who is familiar with Jewish observance and fasting and has treated many women for many years, they're likely to be a little bit less like shocked about going for 25 hours without eating or drinking anything. 
There are in other religions, you know, fasts where people don't eat anything, but they still drink. And like I said before, because hydration is the bigger concern, it is also important to emphasize to your provider that you will also not be drinking besides for not eating. If your provider is someone who doesn't come across from people often, then it's possible they may be more reticent to say that it's okay for you to fast because it's more of a foreign idea to them. But if you are healthy, you have no pre-existing conditions, you have no complications, and we'll go through some pregnancy complications later on um, that may be reasons for why you shouldn't fast, then just have the conversation with your provider of, well, why don't you think it would be a safe idea for me to fast? And at that point, you would take all that information and go to your halachic authority, which from here on, I'm going to just say rav. Um, because that is probably the most common term that people use. So you'll take that information that your doctor gives you to a rub and have the conversation. And again, the more information you have about your medical condition in general, because if you do have a medical condition, it's also really important to have all of the details and to understand the physiology of what would happen if you did fast. And in case you don't know what the word physiology means, basically means what's going on inside of your body. How is your body working? So if you understand why it's so important to be hydrated because your body's blood volume is so much greater when you're pregnant, then you can understand the physiology of what happens when you are dehydrated. And the reason why it's so important for you to understand the physiology is because I've seen where Rabbanim didn't understand why it would be dangerous for someone's specific condition to fast. And we can't take for granted that they know everything. They're not a doctor unless they actually are a doctor. And the same goes for the opposite. It's really important to differentiate what the qualifications are of someone to dictate and answer your questions. Ask those questions. Never assume that you know the answer. So many women are so surprised by the answers that they get. Many women are surprised that they're told to do shiurim right away, and we'll get to shiurim a little bit later. Many women are surprised to be told that they shouldn't even start fasting by a rav. Many women who think that their pregnancy is going well and they think that they have a condition, but it may be something minor, is actually something major when it comes to fasting and can have detrimental effects on their body. So never, ever assume don't be shy to ask the questions. I want to go over some common complications of pregnancy that may preclude you from fasting. So the first thing I can think of is preterm labor. There is a small increase of births after fast days. There was a study or two or maybe more done in Israel that has shown that it is a small increase. And there are many women that will get contractions during a fast that will go away once they're hydrated again. But if you are someone who has a history of preterm labor or is in their first pregnancy or not even their first pregnancy may not have had a history of preterm labor, but there was something in their current pregnancy that shows that they may be at risk for it. Maybe their cervix is short. Maybe they had had preterm contractions. Then you are likely going to be told 
not to fast. I can't imagine any doctor or rub that would say it's okay for you to fast. The next thing I can think of is diabetes. Whether you have diabetes before pregnancy, which if you do, probably you will also be told not to fast ever. And if you have gestational diabetes during pregnancy and you're on medications that may put you at risk of your blood sugar getting too low, that's probably a condition that you are going to be told that you should not fast. If you have high blood pressure either prior to the pregnancy or during the pregnancy, it does put you at higher risk for preeclampsia. For those of you who don't know what preeclampsia is, basically it is a complication of pregnancy that can turn life-threatening very quickly, and it involves multiple organs in the body. Certainly, if you have preeclampsia, then you're going to be told not to fast. In terms of high blood pressure, if you are on blood pressure medications, I would imagine that you'll be told not to fast as well. But it may be a little bit more complex in terms of what exactly your condition is and how stable it is, etc. But it is definitely an important conversation to have. And if your doctor tells you that they don't feel like it's safe for you or your midwife, then listen to them. Take it seriously. Another condition that I can think of that is probably something you've had prior to pregnancy or maybe have discovered during pregnancy, even though you've had it prior, is a blood clotting disorder, either a hyperclotting disorder or maybe missing some clotting factors. That's probably something that would make it very dangerous for you to fast for many different reasons. But one of the reasons is because every woman who's pregnant and newly postpartum is at higher risk for blood clots. And the reason why blood clots are dangerous is that they can travel to the heart or the lungs and can be fatal. So because you're already at higher risk for blood clots, then becoming dehydrated can increase your risks of getting a blood clot even further. So you're probably also going to be told not to fast. Another condition that you may have during pregnancy that you will likely be told not to fast is if you're carrying more than one baby, so twins or more than that. And again, it's because your body's blood volume is even higher than it is with just one baby and is even more sensitive to becoming dehydrated. So these are the most common conditions that I can think of. I'm sure that there are many more and you need to really have a conversation and be aware of any conditions that you may have and be aware of the physiology. Keep in mind that some of these complications can also continue after you have the baby when you're in the immediate postpartum period, which is somewhere between six weeks to three months. For example, you're still at higher risk for blood clots for the few weeks after, you, you know, the first few weeks after you give birth. So you may still have the same risk factors if you get dehydrated for getting a blood clot. The same thing goes for preeclampsia, you may still have blood pressure problems controlling your blood pressure. You may be on medications that can make it dangerous. Also, if you lost a lot of blood during delivery or have had a difficult delivery otherwise, such as becoming infected, those are all reasons to find out about how safe it would be for you to fast as well. Okay, let's talk about lactating mothers, those of you who are breastfeeding. There are several factors that you're going to want to 
take into consideration. Firstly, are you exclusively breastfeeding or are you not exclusively breastfeeding? So you maybe you have a baby that's under six months old, that's, you know, three, four months old or whatever, and either they take pump breast milk or they nurse directly from the source, then you're going to have higher hydration needs. Again, for nursing mothers, the more important consideration is hydration over nutrition because your body does have stores that it's going to transfer into your breast milk as well. So if you are exclusively breastfeeding, then your baby has higher demands for your milk volume, which means that your requirements for fluids are greater than someone whose baby is, say, nine months old and eating solids as well. Or if somebody has a two-year-old that they're still breastfeeding just once in the morning and once at night, that's certainly going to be easier than someone who's exclusively breastfeeding a three-month-old. So these are important things to take into consideration when deciding about fasting when you are nursing. Now, something else that might be important for you to consider is if you have a preemie, a NICU baby, you really want to be on top of your milk supply if you're choosing to give your baby your breast milk, um, whether that be nursing or whether that be pumping. Breast milk is amazing all around for every single baby. It's got an incredible composition that we still have not been able to copy artificially. For preemies, even so much more. There are illnesses where the baby's gut starts to get infected and damaged, and breast milk has been shown to decrease that risk very much so. So much so that there are hospitals that now offer donor breast milk, and um, that is preferred over feeding the baby formula. So that's something that you're going to want to speak with your Rav about in terms of really preserving your milk supply. However, just so that you know, a temporary day of fasting is not, should not, will likely not, I can't give you any promises, but will likely not affect your milk supply on a long-term level. You may have a dip in milk supply the following day or two, but in about three days, if you properly replenish your um, fluids that you lost over the fast, then your milk supply should be back up to normal. Usually, I can never promise anything, but I'm telling you this to reassure you because many mothers are afraid that their milk supply is going to be hurt by fasting, and they get discouraged when the next day and maybe the day after that, it is indeed lower. So usually by about day three, your milk supply should be back up. If you are having a hard time with milk supply to begin with and your baby has poor weight gain and you're really trying to exclusively breastfeed or give as much breast milk as possible to your baby, that is another consideration that may weigh into whether it's okay for you to fast or whether it would be harmful to you or your baby. Now let's discuss some practical advice in order to help your fast go as smoothly and as, I don't want to say enjoyably, but as smoothly as possible. Preparation is key. You really want to start preparing ahead of time. Like I said, preparing the day before and drinking tons of fluid the day before is not going to work. So 
try to start at least three days before. It's now Friday today, and I'm going to really start to be mindful myself, um, starting, you know, Shabbos, of drinking as much as possible. You really want to make your primary source of fluid intake water. Drinking a lot of fluids that have sugar in them is going to defeat the purpose. Sugar dehydrates you. Your body naturally wants more fluid after you have sugar in order to dilute the sugar in your body so that you don't have too much sugar. So drinking a lot of fluids with sugar is going to defeat the purpose. You may as well not drink the extra fluids. Caffeine in fluids um, is a diuretic, which means that it will make you pee more and it'll put you at greater risk for dehydration. I'm someone who needs my caffeine, but I will be mindful of drinking extra water to kind of compensate for it. But just keep that in mind when it comes to caffeine. I know that some people don't like drinking water. I truly believe that that's just because they're not used to it. And I think that if you get used to drinking water at a certain point, you may not even want to drink other sugary stuff. They, they just become too, you just become so sensitive to it. And that includes sugar-free drinks like Crystal Light, where they just have that sweet flavor. Now, I had the question of, should you be drinking electrolyte-rich fluids such as Powerade, such as Gatorade? I want to remind you that Powerade and Gatorade has sugar in it, the sugary ones, the ones that are sugar-free. I don't know if that stuff does anything or not in terms of dehydrating you. I can't tell you. But coconut water is really the best source of electrolytes for you, even if you hate it, which I do. I just pinch my nose and I chug it down because it is rich in electrolytes. It is low in sugar and there's a reason for why there is hype around it. It's true hype. It really, really is excellent. And I've seen it in the hospital where someone drank a lot of coconut water and then they also got IV fluids that had electrolytes in it and their electrolyte levels actually became toxic um, because it's real. Coconut water has amazing, amazing electrolytes that your body will hopefully retain if you have it over you know, a few days. And it's actually really great to break your fast on an electrolyte-rich drink. Um, I actually like the ones with sugar after the fast because like this, they kind of get everything in all at once. So I'll have a Powerade or a Gatorade. But before the fast, don't make electrolyte drinks your primary source of fluid intake. Use it as a supplement. So drink like 12 cups of water and then drink two of those little drink juice boxes of coconut water or whatever, half of the big carton, cardboard carton of coconut water. So don't make it your primary intake because your body really needs water. It needs mostly water. Because you lose electrolytes over a fast because you're dehydrated, you do need to replenish your electrolytes. But for the average person on an average day, their bodies are capable of figuring it out and regulating the electrolytes in their bodies um, so that they're not losing too many. So besides for preparing in the hydration sense, 
I think that it's really important to ask both your provider, your doctor or midwife, and your rub what your threshold should be for breaking your fast. And when you go into the fast armed with that information, of course, it's not going to be perfect. A lot of the symptoms are subjective. They're not outwardly seen. It's kind of like you're feeling dizzy, you're feeling nauseous. But going into the fast with that information should give you some reassurance that you have a plan and you know what to do instead of like, I'm not feeling well. Is this normal? Should I continue my fast? Am I putting myself in danger, et cetera, et cetera. And it can take away some of the guilt because this is what your medical authority or halachic authority told you you should break your fast on. So you are being prudent and you're doing the right thing and you're not doing an Avera. Some of the symptoms that would be red flags for you to break your fast is dizziness, fainting. That's pretty much kind of like, you know, no brainer. If you lay down and you continue to be dizzy, then that usually is a sign that you should be breaking your fast um, because it's likely that you have super low blood sugar or super low blood pressure and it would be hard for your body to compensate. If you are experiencing contractions, that is also likely a reason for you to break your fast. If it's premature contractions, then you're at risk of going into premature labor, even if you have no history of it. And if you're at term and you're having contractions, then it could be that you are actually going into labor and you want to have the most optimal hydration and nutritional status possible to be able to withstand labor because it's like running a marathon. Even if you're getting an epidural, your body is still going to work really hard. Then you want to take into consideration that if you're dehydrated, your baby is dehydrated too. And that can show up on the heart rate monitor if you have to go into the hospital. And that's not good either. So you don't want to start off labor at a deficit. And certainly, no matter which stage of pregnancy you're in, you don't want to dehydrate your baby. If you're having nausea and vomiting, then that's usually a sign, too, that your body, for one reason or another, is not tolerating you fasting. And you're also continuing to further dehydrate yourself if you're vomiting. And that's kind of like an outward sign. So it's a little bit easier to say, okay, my body is for sure not liking this. If you experience any of these signs or other signs that your doctor or midwife will tell you about, you should absolutely call your doctor or midwife because you need to know whether you need further evaluation to make sure that you and your baby are okay. Let's talk about shiurim. So what shiurim are is that at certain intervals, and I don't know the exact intervals, I don't know the exact volume, and I don't want to say anything and be wrong, but you have to ask your Rav about it. During, you know, let's say I'm going to give you an example of every seven minutes. I'm not sure if it's every seven minutes or not. You can have a small amount of fluid and a small amount of solid every seven minutes or so. And on Yom Kippur specifically, it is a fast that is Daraisa, you are still considered to be in a fasting status by having those little trace amounts of food and drink. And it is a bediyaved. It is not, you know, the um, preferred way to fast, but it is a way to have you continue your fast and prevent you from breaking your fast completely. So because shiurim are preventative, right, we don't want you to break your fast so you can have these trace amounts of food and drink. 
you have to start them right away. They're not going to treat already existing dehydration. So that's really important to know. Don't say, oh, I'll do shirim at two o'clock in the afternoon when I'm feeling so dizzy that I can't move, I can't get off the couch. That's not going to help at that point. So it's important to know that you start shirim early if your Rav tells you that you are a good candidate for shirim. And I had someone recently suggest to instead of measuring the food like just visually to use a food scale and um, she said that she was allowed to have a lot more food than she thought she was able to have when she used a scale so uh, that's just a cute tip now if you are doing shirim then you should be drinking I, I would say primarily water because if you're eating solids, then you are getting, um, you know, electrolytes and sugar from that. So drink primarily water. You can mix in some juice or I think something with electrolytes would be great like Powerade or Gatorade. Then your solid should be something that should not be too drying for you, right? Because like we said, it's more important to have a good fluid balance in your body than the nutrition piece of it. So maybe have a sponge cake, something that's a little bit moist so that you don't defeat the purpose of the fluid part of shiurim. So ask your Rav. I hear from so many women who are so, are surprised to hear that their Rav not just says that it's okay for them to do shiurim, but really recommends it and encourages them to do shiurim because, again, this is a way that may prevent you from actually completely breaking your fast. So if you are a candidate, do not feel guilty. Do not feel bad. You are in a stage in your life where you have special hydration nutritional needs. During the fast, it's really important to conserve as much energy as possible. That means staying in a cool environment and moving as little as you can and really just staying horizontal as much as you can. Now, understandably, many women do not have that option because they have other children. So there are several things that you can do to help yourself. Firstly, See if you can find someone who's a good faster or someone who's 11 and a half years old and responsible with kids. Come and play with your kids or, you know, just babysit your kids so you can actually get some rest. You also may be someone who has regular household help or has a hired babysitter that is a regular that is not Jewish and is not going to be fasting. Then that can be a great option as well. And you know, don't be afraid to spend the money if you would not otherwise, because, I mean, think about it. We buy Yantif clothes, we buy Yantif food, and this is hiring someone to help you do what you're supposed to be doing on Yom Kippur. If you have neither of those options available to you, it's really important to have a conversation with your husband, your children's father, about the option of him not going to shul or at least checking in and staying home from shul if need be. There are competing priorities here. So while it's very important to daven on Yom Kippur and tefillah is really another central thing that we do on Yom Kippur, we daven all day. It's the only day of the year where we daven five tefillos, five different prayers. However, 
it is more important that you stay fasting. That is the Dara here. That is what is actually written in the Torah is the essence of the day. It is fasting. So it might be hard, but that is the priority for you to stay fasting. There are women who have told me that they feel like they don't have a good enough excuse to ask their husband to stay home from shul. And when I spoke to them further, it came out that they are pretty okay fasters. I mean, they probably will be able to make it through the day. They've done it before. They're not extremely sick, but it's hard. It's really hard to stay home with one or two or a bunch of kids, be fasting at the same time, and being lonely. So some things you can do is firstly plan to get together with someone else, be it someone else with kids or without kids. So at least you just don't feel the loneliness and the burden as much and you feel like maybe someone else is in it with you, you can also consider doing a round robin with a friend where she'll watch your kids for a few hours and you'll watch her kids for a few hours. Of course, that's not something that's feasible for everyone. It's not always easy to watch someone else's kids in addition to yours. I've also seen people go to each other's houses for the entire Yom Kippur, especially if you're in an area where there's no Erev. It's just nice. It makes it a little bit easier knowing that you're with someone else who's in the same difficult situation as you. And if you can both help each other in some way, great. Maybe your kids will have playmates. So that might take away some of the pressure on you to entertain them. Before I end this episode, I want to validate that Yom Kippur is indeed really hard. I think that it's a hard fast for also the reason that we don't have any electronics. You can't do malacha. So there are fewer activities to entertain the kids with and there are fewer distractions. So I want to validate that you are doing an amazing, amazing job if you're in any of these positions. I am going to leave you off with a mindset, with an attitude that you're not fasting on Yom Kippur, but you are attempting to fast, which means that if at any point you feel very ill, you will be prepared and know that it is your time to break your fast, that you tried, that you did all of the things that I just talked about and maybe more. And it is not, you are not in a stage, in a season, in a phase of your life where it would be safe for you to fast. So no shame and no guilt if that happens to you. No shame and no guilt if you have to do shiurim, if you cannot daven on this day, if your husband has to stay home on this day, if you're not observing Yom Kippur in the traditional sense that we typically expect. Do not have shame. This is the place that Hashem, that God, wants you to be in at this very moment. A gemar chasimatova and have an easy fast. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Yoledit Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes, as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. 
Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.